The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the new brain science of contentment, calm, and confidence. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I have this new book that I've been reading called Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen, Ph.D. And this is just an incredible book. And I've been really reading a lot about the brain lately. And uh, funny that we were recently also interviewing another professor about about the brain. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But let me tell you about Rick Hansen. He's a Ph.D. and a neuropsychologist and affiliate of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. And he's the author of the best-selling book, Buddha's Brain, The Practical Neuroscience of Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. And he also is the author of Just One Thing, Developing a Buddha Brain, One Simple Practice at a Time. And then, of course, this book that I've got, This Hardwiring Happiness, and everybody wants to be happy. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Hansen. He's the founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom in San Rafael, California. And he has taught at Oxford, Stanford, and Harvard universities, as well as in meditation centers throughout Europe and North America and Australia. And he, I want to, I want to get right down to it, all the good things that he's doing. But um, you can find out more about him at rickhanson.net. That's R-I-C-K-H-A-N-S-O-N.net. So without further ado, I want to thank you so much, Rick, for coming on our show. Oh, Mari, it's a great pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. Well, it's funny because I recently interviewed um, a professor emeritus um, of anatomy and neurobiology uh, at and a professor of psychiatry at UC um, Irvine, <laughs> and he uh, wrote a book. You would love this. Um, they uh, they psychopath inside. And that was about the brain, too. He, he happened to have, when he was doing research on DNA for uh, Alzheimer's, he, he um, found some, some interesting things about his DNA and his brain scans and found that he actually had a brain scan that was very similar to what comes up with the psychopath. <laughs> and that's what he wrote. You would get a kick out of it. He, he was really fun to listen to, and it's a great book, too. So, um, But I really love, you know, that was interesting, showing about nature versus nurture. Before he wrote the book, he thought, oh, you know, it's all genetics. You know, it's it's 
the that's what you know is everything but Uh he found that because he had such a loving upbringing that he didn't become the psychopath that he could have been so um and and very interesting stuff the brain is just amazing but i love the work that you've been doing on the brain that is it's it's very very positive so why did you write this book the hardwiring happiness oh thank you very much well um i've gotten really interested in the how of becoming happier, stronger, more confident, more resilient, healed, uh, full of inner peace, etc. The how of that, you know, um, because the brain has this negativity bias that makes it really good at learning from bad experiences, but bad at learning from good experiences, mm-hmm. even though research on the how of growing and healing, becoming stronger, more able to deal with conflict, for example, without getting up so, so upset by it, you know, more robust, more resilient, more even keeled. Uh, research shows that um, those inner strengths are built from positive experiences. But, unfortunately, the brain is bad at growing inner strengths from positive experiences. It creates a kind of bottleneck. So, for me, the key, in many ways, to having a steep learning curve as, as we go through life rather than a shallow one is to learn how half a dozen times a day to pop open that bottleneck and actually enable or help those positive experiences that you're having just in the flow of everyday life to help those usually mild positive experiences gradually actually sink into your brain to become increasingly encoded in neural structure, the basis for the inner strengths that you want to take with you wherever you go. Yeah. You know, I, I've read a lot about this kind of thing. You know, I've read Ernest Holmes, who talks about change your thinking, change your life, mm-hmm. that kind of idea, and um, some other things on the brain about that. You know, obviously, we we create our reality, and, it, and an attitude of gratitude really makes us happier, right? So, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things to appreciate, of course, is that in addition to the momentary benefit, let's say, of feeling happier, and I'm for, I'm for that, consider the alternative, right? right? Which would most people wish for their friend for the next minute or day to feel happy or unhappy? Well, it's perfectly fair to wish that for yourself. But the thing to appreciate, I think, is that these moments of happiness, if we help them sink into our brain, instead of doing what the Stone Age brain normally does, just right. waste them, if we help them sink in, they are the primary basis of resilience, determination, character virtues, the ability to deal with the hard things in life, recover from injury, recover from trauma or poverty or loss, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, positive experiences. Gratitude's one example. There are others, like feeling like you've accomplished something, you've got the kids to bed, you finished a tricky email or Maybe you feel just like you're with a friend and there's a kind of warmth there. That these experiences are not just la-di-da, you know, some kind of like California New Age, (laughs) look on the bright side sort of deal. But they're actually the primary way to build up muscles inside, psychological muscles inside, to deal with tough things. Yeah, you know, I, I I think about life, and as I get older, I realize, you know, I can I can think whatever I want to think. You know, I can change my thinking, and people sometimes don't think that they can do that. They don't realize it. And I thought to myself recently, like, you know, if you have a choice in life, and life is so short as it is, can why not choose to just be happy? If you you know choose those good thoughts and and push out those bad thoughts. Because you have that choice, 
You know, I mean, if, if, and that just makes the difference in it. Just, it seems so simple, yet sometimes it's so hard because these negative thoughts just come in and they want to overtake the good guys, right? Right. And I think those good thoughts are good, right? Yeah, yeah. Except I've known a lot of people who've been working at positive thinking a long time, and they're still pretty unhappy, and they're also still quite reactive or prickly in their relationships, or they, they feel insecure and inadequate. I mean, how do we? I think, I think it's good to have positive thinking, and it's even better to help good experiences sink in to support your positive thinking so you actually believe it. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So not, I mean, it's one thing to think positively, but if you, if you do that when you feel anxious or depressed right. inside, <laughs> yeah, you're just not going to believe it or irritate it or you're beating yourself up um, to add fuel. Right. To that positive thinking. So to really help it work, yes. to me it really helps to let feelings go into the body, you know, let sensations really sink into you and gradually get woven into emotional memory. Right. Like if you're just saying affirmations and underneath you're thinking, oh, this is crap, you know, right? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly <laughs> then it right. Is, yeah, you have to really um, do body, mind, spirit, just get the whole thing involved. But let's talk about what you mean by Buddha brain. I know you don't mean that you have to be a Buddhist. So let's just talk about what that Buddha brain is. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, the basic idea of a Buddha brain goes back to the traditional meaning of Buddha, which didn't have religious connotations at all. It was utterly psychological. It simply meant um, that traditional word, Budo, means someone who knows profoundly, someone who understands deeply what the causes are of, are of suffering and the causes of happiness. So as we, each of us, each of us have the opportunity to develop that kind of brain gradually over time. In other words, we, we can grow so that we understand more and more that taking the high road is better than the low road. And we also learn more and more intimately how to work with our own thoughts and feelings, especially our own negative reactions to things, right. so that increasingly we, we have a kind of unshakable um, sense of inner strength and inner peace. And since he, the Buddha, 2,500 years ago, did not really refer to any kind of um, supernatural explanations for things. He was really talking about the power of practice over time, the gradual accumulation, if you will, of growth, psychological growth and healing along each person's journey through life. In that framework, each one of us can, de can develop a Buddha brain or at least be on the path to that, whether we're you know, Christian or Jewish or atheist or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or none of the above, whatever we are, right? right. Um, any one of us can develop a brain that supports a mind that knows how to be strong and happy in a difficult and challenging life. And so on that journey, uh, since a Buddha mind means developing a Buddha brain, if you will, because the mind and the brain, as we now understand in Western science 2,500 years later, the mind and the brain go together. Well, if you're going to develop you know, a mind that is increasingly unconditionally peaceful, contented, and feels loved and loving, if you're going to develop that kind of mind, that means gradually changing your brain for the better. And that's what my book's about. It's about the down-to-earth practicality of, okay, how do we gradually change our brain for the better, tapping the hidden power in everyday experiences. Now, you talk about the mind and the brain, and you talk about 
them as as they go together, but you also say when your mind changes, your brain changes. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of tell us more about what you mean by that? Because I think some people just equate they are the same, but they really aren't. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of amazing to appreciate that what people are hearing right now, the sounds, think of what's happening in your experience right now listening to this conversation. So um, you're hearing sounds, you're having thoughts about it, you may be doing other things like driving in a car or doing some activity. Um, all kinds of things are happening in your awareness moment by moment by moment. And what modern science is showing is that all of those aspects of your experience, um, the sounds you're hearing, the sights you're seeing, the feelings you're feeling and so forth, all of that is based on underlying neural activity, amazingly complex, fast um, neural activity that's the basis for our, for our experience. So the two go together. That means that repeated patterns of mental activity, in other words, repeated thoughts, repeated feelings, like, you know, beating yourself up re- repeatedly or mm-hmm. alternately registering a sense of your own good heart repeatedly, repeated patterns of thoughts and feelings entail. They require repeated patterns of underlying neural activity. And guess what? Repeated patterns of neural activity gradually change neural structure and function. That's why um, if we repeatedly, for example, focus on criticizing ourselves or, you know, maintaining our grumbling grievances, you know, toward other people, or if we ruminate anxiously about the future or, you know, rehash and rehash and rehash the past, the past, well, you'll change your brain for the worse. You'll make the alarm bell of the brain, the amygdala, more reactive. You'll make a different part of the brain, the hippocampus, that puts things in perspective and calms down the amygdala. You'll make that part of the brain literally smaller because stress hormones like cortisol overstimulate and gradually kill neurons in the hippocampus. So you're less able to calm down uh, when you feel angry with someone or hurt or mistreated or worried. Uh, which then makes you more stressed in a vicious cycle, which changes your brain for the worse. For mm-hmm. example, on the other hand, if you repeatedly listen to Mari Frank, or you know what I mean, <laughs> you repeatedly uh, really let it land when your cat crawls in your lap and you just feel all cozy, or you know mm-hmm. when you look outside and you see something pretty, or you know you think about the fact that someone is happy somewhere always, and if you can be happy that others are happy, you can always be happy. Therefore, whatever it is you do, you know. If you rest your mind there, you'll be changing your brain in different ways. You'll be building a brain from the inside out that is um, uh, less reactive to difficulty. It's more robust. It's more resilient. It's stronger and tougher and more confident and assertive. And also building a brain that has more uh, support for the neurotransmitter systems like serotonin or the natural opioids in the brain, the pleasure molecules in the brain. There'll be more support in your brain for an even mood uh, or an experience of enjoyment and pleasure as you go through life. There'll be more support for receptors for oxytocin, a neurotransmitter that is involved in feeling cared about or loving, so that you'll be more, you'll feel more and more connected to others, even when things, for example, could be difficult. That's our choice. The brain is constantly changing its structure, Mari. The only mm-hmm. question is, is it for better or worse? And also, actually, who's doing the changing? Is it the forces out there 
uh, media, authority figures, your boss, you know, your ex, right. or the voices in your head from your own childhood? Or is it you yourself that's doing this change from the inside out? I mean, for me, just to finish up here, the essence of what I'm talking about in this book is self-reliance, really, from the inside out. Yes. It sounds to me like if we are conscious, mm-hmm. um, our conscious mind, not our unconscious mind, but our conscious mind actually makes a habit of being positive, then we create a more positive brain. We actually make those changes in our brain over right. and over. And and so we have to stay present and stay conscious and be like observing constantly what our thoughts are. You know, I just had uh, recently, you know, some, some health challenges. You know, I had to have cataract surgery and, you know, I was at first down about that. I thought, oh my God, you know, and a tooth removed. And I said to myself, okay, now, Mari, get a hold of yourself here. And I said, okay, you're just remodeling. You're <laughs> just remodeling. And, That's pretty and, good. Yeah. And that was, you know, it's like the glass half empty and the glass half full. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's what I decided to do. Now, what good is this? What is the good in this? Because I happen to be one of these people that focuses on what exactly you're talking about. And so I chose I choose to think, okay, I'm just remodeling. This is okay. It'll be a remodeled eye, a remodeled mouth. I can live with that, you know? So I think it's a matter of staying conscious about our thoughts and quickly grasping ourselves when something happens that is disappointing, that we grasp that time and consciously, and we have to stay conscious, and then that can help um, effectuate the changes in our brain that we want to have so that we, like you said, we can be more resilient. Obviously, I'm not the, the brilliant scientist that you are, but I, I do get that situation, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, I think you're totally right. And, um, you know, it, I appreciate the value of our thinking, right? So I, right. I think a lot. There you go. <laughs> right. And I think certain kinds of thoughts are really useful for us. You know, the thought that, wow, I really am, you know, I'm, I'm needing to exercise. Like I'm getting old enough now that my natural kind of, you know, resilience isn't enough. I actually go out and need to go re- regularly exercise. Okay, that's a good thought to let it sink in. That said, where most of the value is for people in terms of their personal growth and their healing and also their character development, the gradual acquisition of, of more of a kindness inside, more patience, you know, more, and also, frankly, more, more resilience, more determination. The primary source of that is emotion and also sensation in the body. It's not so much our perspectives, our beliefs, our thoughts about things, you know, but it's actually how we feel emotionally or in, in terms of sensations, because those uh, aspects of our experience, sensation and emotion, are what link to the older parts of the brain, the more mammalian and even reptilian parts of the brain. And that's where, that, and those, that's where the roots live, typically, yeah. of feeling anxious or, or insecure or angry or ashamed or, or inadequate or blue. And um, that's why I think it's very powerful to look for opportunities in everyday life, to let good experiences really sink into yourself, to feel them fully. You know, my book goes into a lot of detail about this, to feel them fully, to stay with them just 20 or 30 seconds in a row. But if you do that, in the famous saying from neuroscience, that 
quote-unquote, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. It's kind of mechanical, frankly, deep down in the basement of the brain. The longer you get those neurons firing, the more intensely they fire, the more you enlist different aspects of your experience to get lots and lots of neurons firing. Well, the more you're going to be building good structure in your own brain. I love that. Rick, you know what scares me is these kids watching these horrible movies over and over with violence. And, you know, I mean, it really seems to me that this, what you're talking about here is, is that, you know, they have to understand this. And it's not just the children, it's the movie makers and the TV makers. They really have to understand it, what they're creating from this. Don't, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we, this is real serious business. We're creating a society of people who think in violent ways because it goes over and over and over. It hardwires into them. You know, and I, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I believe in the First Amendment rights that you should yeah. be able to do these. But I think that we need to bring this consciousness as to what it's actually doing to people's brains. I think you're totally right. And um, that's, of course, where parents come in, you know, as we know. Um, and that said, yeah, I'm very concerned, honestly, about the impact of technology, especially on more vulnerable people. In other words, younger people, also uh, kids uh, who are maybe more inclined toward aggressiveness just in their nature, or they're more at the spirited ADHD end of the temperamental spectrum. You know, they're, they're by nature uh, really easily hooked on intense streams of incoming information. And we are changing their brains. You know, we are shaping their brains so that they're, they're kind of addicted to this amount of stimulation and think little of and you know of doing things that are pretty aggressive so yeah i'm 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 concerned about that i think uh you know a little bit here a little bit there is rarely going to um damage or change a person's brain in a negative way but spending hours every day as a teenager or a younger child just playing violent video games (laughs) that's not good I know. I mean, it just seems to me, especially now. So you teach at Berkeley and you have young people coming in and, and you're exposed to these young people who are, you know, 24 hours a day tethered to their their smartphones and their iPads and everything else like that. How about that effect? Even if it's not video games, what is that effect on on being mindfulness? Yeah, yeah. Well, for one, it on, so two things here. First off, um I, I teach workshops at UC Berkeley, definitely, and okay. I'm on the advisory board of the Greater Good Science Center there. I don't have a faculty position there, so right, just to be right. clear about that. Okay, yeah. just the workshops, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> to go to the next point, yes, uh, I like technology. You know, we're using technology right now. We're going Interviews of various kinds can be spread out on the World Wide Web and all, the, all that good stuff. Right. That said, when you have people in general, and especially young people, like in college or even high school or younger, whose brains are are really sensitive and developing, doing lots and lots with technology trains the brain. You know, the brain is the organ that learns. It changes. So this sort of use of technology trains the brain to feel like it always has to have lots and lots of stimulation. Otherwise, you know, it feels like it's hungry. And also this kind um, kind of shallowness of attention rather than sinking deeply into a book or a, or a long conversation with a friend, that kind of shallowness of attention makes people shallow, and yes. they have less and less appreciation for 
the, the power and the profundity of depth. So to deal with it, my own view is, yeah, be careful about how much texting you're doing and so forth and living on Facebook and these little snippets, you know, of content. But that said, people, young people especially, are, they're going to keep doing that because that's how they connect with each right, other. Right. Um, and so if you're going to do that, just try to make sure that you balance it by looking for those opportunities to, re- to register experiences, to let them sink in that are much closer to our true nature, having evolved in hunter-gatherer bands. You know, where most of the time we lived at the pace of a walk and we connected with other people eye to eye and skin to skin. And so when you have opportunities to slow things down, as you said, to be more mindful in the moment, um, walking across campus or, you know, in your car looking up at the clouds and just kind of taking a moment to feel nature and its beauty, uh, or you're with someone and there's a moment of connection, you can feel friendly with each other, don't waste it. You know, use yeah. the methods in my book to take the extra 10 or 20 seconds to really let it sink in. Yeah. Now you talk, we were talking about learning and, and you talk in your book about assimilation and accommodation as two t- mm-hmm. different types of learning. Could you explain what you mean by that? Oh, sure. That's a term from Jean Piaget, the great um, psychologist, especially for children. And he said that there are two kinds of learning. One kind, assimilation, is when we take in new information and we fit, in it, fit it into an existing structure. The other kind of learning is more profound, accommodation. And that's where we take new information and actually change our views. Now, the tricky part here is that some people, um, and we, we, all have, we all know them in our life, they can't accommodate their existing beliefs to any significantly new information. So they reject the new information. or they distort it to fit into their belief system. And um, we have a brain that, on the one hand, has, um, you know, it has a certain momentum or stability. Otherwise, we couldn't remember anything. You know, if the brain was constantly changing, there would be no sense of continuity and a sense of self, and we would forget what we've learned. On the other hand, you can go too far in that direction and, and and develop a brain that's excessively rigid, right? So the middle way, I think, is to, among other methods, look for those experiences that are really going to make a difference to you. And then when you're having them, let yourself shift to receive them. So, in fact, you do actually change a little bit uh, for the better every time you do this. Yeah, I know. It just reminds me of it. We have a new puppy. Uh-huh. And just having a fluffy, he's a, a baby golden retriever. And so, you know, he's three months now. And so he's, you know, he's, he's pretty big, you know, c- can still sit on your lap. But, you know, just holding him and having this little ball of love, you know, fur and, a, a, you know, love in a fur coat, so to speak. Yeah. You've just got this little, this little thing that just is so, it just makes you tingle all inside for this just little love bug. And yeah. it's something that, you know, that's what I thought of when you were talking about that. It's just such a, a wonderful thing to, just like a baby, you know, you hold a baby and it's so cuddly and just a, a cute little animal. It just is something to really appreciate and, and have your whole senses feel. But we don't have a lot of time. I'd like you to just give us a, a couple of the wonderful exercises that you have in your books, like your 52 um, exercises if you, in just one thing. If you could just give us a couple things that people could think about before we go. Oh, sure. Thanks, Mari. Well, if I could, I'll just tell people how to take in the good. Um, I summarize it in this four-step process, H-E-A-L, HEAL, that's the acronym. Okay. So in the first step, have. 
have a positive experience, either because you're noticing it, that's usually what people do, or because you deliberately create it. And there's a place for that. For example, taking a moment at a meal to feel thankful or um, bringing to mind a, a time when you were really strong, uh, when you've got to be assertive, dealing with, let's say, a conflict or a challenge right now. So in the first step, have a positive experience. And then second, enrich it, E for enrich. Mm-hmm. Help it last 10, 20, 30 seconds straight. Help it be big and strong inside you. Third step, A for absorb, uh, intend and sense that the experience is going into you. And then um, if you want, this is the optional step, L for link, uh, you could be aware of both the positive experience as well as some negative material that the positive experience is the natural antidote for. For example, feeling cared about and loved today, going into and gradually soothing and even replacing old feelings of being hurt and left out. So those four steps give us H-E-A-L, heal, to have, enrich, absorb, um, have a positive experience, enrich it, absorb it, and then if you want, link positive and negative material. And, and you I, can do this with any experience you, you care to. Yeah, and I love the L. I want to change it to love. Love the experience. There <laughs> you are. That. Love yeah. the experience. That's right. And let it and let. L for let. Let, let it, it sink into places inside that have felt hurt or bruised or, or mistreated. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Rick Hansen, Ph.D., the author of Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Containment, Calm, and Co- Confidence. So thank you so much, Rick. We will have you back again. Keep up the wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Mari. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Uh, Listen to us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thank you. Thank you.